You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. If you would please turn your Bibles to the Song of Solomon, Chapter 4. For the past couple of weeks, we've been studying about what it means to live according to the high calling. We've looked at the hindrances to the high calling and how to overcome some of those hindrances. In the first week, we used Philippians uh, 3.14, and we started there. We said, we read, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What a high calling we have. As Christians, we carry the name of Jesus Christ. We're identified with him. He is our identity. We discuss the need to be mindful of this calling as we go about our daily lives, how we have to be aware that the world is carefully watching to see if we are really living up to the name of Christian. Are we living the way that uh, we profess to believe? That in itself should be a motivation enough for us to press toward the mark, to live each day, to live each moment in such a way that his name is held high. May it not be said of us, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. We also looked at the context of the verse and took heed to the warnings that, that Paul brought before, before he got to that point in the, in the chapter. And the warnings were against trusting in the works of the flesh instead of trusting in the one that, whose finished work on the cross is sufficient for all. And we talked about some specific hindrances to living that way the hindrance of unrepentant sin, a lack of Bible study and meditation, lack of prayer, of not fellowshipping with other believers, and listening to false doctrine. And last week, we really kind of delved into some of the, how to overcome those hindrances, and I really focused on how to get sin out of our lives, but we really touched on, because everything is so very interrelated, we touched on almost all of those but we looked at how to get sin out of our lives by recognizing, first of all, that, there's sin, that there is sin present there, present in our flesh, and then turning away from the sin with true repentance, and then fixing our hearts on God, meditating on God's Word, communing with Him in prayer, and then cultivating obedience in our lives. We talked about how living according to the high calling is really it's, it's a, a cyclical process, the more we submit and allow the Spirit to control us, the more He points out sin in our lives that needs to be removed. And then as we remove that sin, the more the Spirit controls us. And He again points out sin that we didn't notice before. And when we get that out, He controls us even more. And it's just it's a cumulative effect. And, it, and the end result is that we are becoming more and more like Christ as we go on. This week, I believe the Lord is leading me to teach on the love that Christ has for us as his beloved, as his bride. As we expel the sin from our lives under the direction of the Holy Spirit, the more we experience the love of Christ. 1 John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. If we love him and our love for him is a major, a major motivation to press toward the mark of the high calling, and, and that love is born out of his love for us, I think we should try and understand as much as we can his love for us. 
That was kind of the progression of thought that the Spirit used to lead me to this week's lesson. Much of what I'm bringing today is not original with me. Uh, it's something that I've, there was a sermon I heard a long time ago um, that really kind of stuck with me. And a lot of the concepts and, and what I'll be talking about today, the Lord laid in my heart back then. And it's just continued to grow over time. So I hope and I pray this morning that I can capture in some small way the essence of what it means to be loved by God and to pass it on to you this morning. That brings us to this morning's passage. The Song of Solomon is a, is a love song sung by two lovers, a young shepherd maiden and, and her suitor, who's the king, who becomes her spouse. The portion that we're going to read in chapter 4 is the consummation of the marriage, with, with most of the chapter being spoken by her husband to his bride. It's a beautiful picture of the love that Christ had for his bride, the church, and for us individually. So we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 4. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, which came up from the washing, whereof every one bare twins, and none is barren among them. Thy lips are like a thread of scarlet, thy speech is comely, thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. Thy neck is like the tower of David, builded for an armory, whereon there hangs a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Thy two breasts are like young rows that are twins, which feed among the lilies, until the day break and the shadows flee away. I will get thee to the mountain of myrrh, and to the hill of frankincense. Thou art all fair, my love and there is no spot in thee. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again I come into your presence as I stand before your people, ready to share what you've laid on my heart. Lord, you know that I'm completely inadequate to do this, but I'm trusting you to speak through me. Please, with your Spirit, allow the words that I speak today to, to be your words and not my words. Thank you for your precious word that shows us who you are. Thank you for your tremendous love. Thank you for being willing to look upon us and love us. Thank you for the ultimate expression of your love and sending your son, your precious son, to live on this earth, to live the perfect life that we cannot, to die, to die taking your wrath upon him that we deserve. Thank you for raising him again from the dead. And thank you that we can now be reconciled to you. Not only reconciled, but loved by you. That we can live in communion with you. Thank you that through him, when you look on us, you see a beautiful bride without spot. I thank you, Lord, and I praise you for all that you are. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Amen. To lay the foundation for this lesson, I want to look at some specific passages that speak about the church as the bride of Christ. So I'm going to ask you to turn to some of them, not all of them. Um, first, if you would turn to Revelation 19. And we'll, as we look at these, I think it helps give us a, a sense of 
how we are really viewed as the, as the bride of Christ, and that is how he views us. My hope is that we can personalize this lesson and really take it to heart. In Revelation 19, verse 7, it's a familiar scene of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. If you turn over a couple chapters to chapter 21. Let's read verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then dropping down to verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. These verses in Revelation give some of the clearest pictures in the scripture of we the church as the bride of Christ. We see the angel telling John of those who are called to the marriage supper and how blessed they are to be part of that, how blessed we will be to be part of that. And if you would turn in the Old Testament to the book of Hosea. We know that Hosea, the book of Hosea is, uh, is Hosea is a prophet that the Lord had him, he married a prostitute. And the prostitute was the, uh, the symbol of Israel. And this, in chapter 2, it talks about all the sins, all the sins of Israel that, that just hurt God so deeply. But then halfway through the chapter, he talks of redemption. And he talks about Israel as his bride. Starting in verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, and bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence, and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, and as in the day when she came out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, thou shalt call me no more Bali. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth, and I will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto, my, unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. We see in this passage the promise of restoration and reconciliation. The Lord's desire and his promise to be betrothed to his people forever, despite all, all of their sins, all of their turning away from him to other gods, to be betrothed to them forever. And I love the connections in Scripture. In Hosea, the Lord's foretelling the scenes that John saw 
and wrote down for us in Revelation. For the lion shall lie down with the lamb. And he says, I will make them to lie down safely. The peace of the new Jerusalem and the removal of strife of all kinds. And most importantly, the faithfulness of his bride. I'm just going to read Isaiah 62.5. You don't need to turn to that one. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. Here we see the comparison between how God views his people in the way that a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. That rejoicing of a bridegroom over his bride is the same way that the Lord rejoices over us, his people. Just think about that for a minute. Think about how excited and how much a bridegroom cherishes his bride. Christ has all of that and more for his bride because, as we'll see in a minute, he not only cherishes his bride, but he's made her worthy of his love and cherishing. If you turn back to the New Testament, to 2 Corinthians. In chapter 11. start in verse 1. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Here again we can see the connection from the Old to the New Testament. The same words are used that we just saw in Isaiah. A young man marrieth a virgin, and here in 2 Corinthians, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul in his letter, letter here is speaking to the Corinthian believers and telling them of his desire to present them as a chaste virgin to Christ, a spotless bride without blemish. And Paul warns them against being distracted and corrupted away from the simplicity which is in Christ. And as we go through today's lesson, we'll see how Christ... is to us, how he loves us, and our love and focus should be on him as well. However, the old serpent is still at work trying to distract us from the truth of such a great love that Christ has for us. It's always his plan to beguile us, pulling us away with the allurements of the world. Those allurements, the best of which is nothing when compared to the treasure of Christ's love for us. If you turn over a couple of books to Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> chapter 5 and, and verse 25. <clears throat> Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Here we see the desire of Christ in the context of the husband, the bridegroom who loves his bride, the church, and he shows his love by giving himself up for her and in so doing, sanctifying and cleansing her so that she is worthy to be his bride a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
Do you see that? There's none worthy to be his bride. So he reaches down and gives himself as a sacrifice to make us his church worthy to be his bride. That's the kind of love we're talking about. That's the love he has for us. Now returning back to our passage in Song of Solomon, I'm going to actually start with the last verse I read, which I think is verse 7. I didn't write it down. And then I'm going to proceed from there. So Song of Solomon in chapter 4, Thou art all fair, my love. Because of his work, the bride has no spot, not a blemish. But do you see how he speaks of her? Thou art all fair. You are the fairest of the fair, the most beautiful. See that, that passion, that desire, that longing. When we apply this to ourselves, we know that we're blessed to be able to come into the courts of God. There's only one reason that we can come into his presence, and that's because we are spotless in God's sight. The lamb, the bridegroom, went to the cross and took our curse upon himself, bore upon himself the wrath of God that should have been poured out on us so we can now appear in his presence without spot, without blemish. I was thinking about that. It reminded me of Queen Esther, how she went in. She was in fearful for her life. She went into the court of the king, her husband, hoping, praying that he would extend the scepter to her in acceptance of accepting her into his presence. She didn't know if he would. But that, that's where the similarity ends. The scepter of the Lord is always extended to us, not because of who we are in ourselves, but because of who we are in Christ. Thou art all fair, my love, and there is no spot in thee. This should encourage us to confess our sins and keeping that relationship clear of any blemish, any spot that would get in the way. The amazing thing is that when we confess our sins, we're confessing to the one who has already forgiven them, the one who has already provided a way for us to become all fair. Now in verse 8. Come with me from Lebanon, my, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shinir and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. God's always calling his people to come, but Satan, the accuser of the brethren, is telling them, you can't go, look at you. How can you go? He knows what you've done. He knows you've sinned. He knows how vile you are. He knows the dullness of your heart. Don't go to him. But those words are the words of a liar and a deceiver. Yet how often we believe him because we find it hard to imagine the depth of God's love for us. Yet it's true. We're given the faith to believe it because we stand upon the word of God that says it's true. The word of God that says, For God so loved the world. We've never seen another love like this. The deepest human love that we've experienced doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the love of God for us. So when Satan tells us how bad we are and how, how could we dare go to the one who's calling since he knows all we've done, we need to remember that the one who is calling us to come does indeed know everything we've ever done. But he is calling us to come. So the invitation is given in his full knowledge, and he means it. So many times when we sin, we get this mindset of, I can't go back to God. How could he ever take me back after all I've done? But he's calling us, calling for us to come. 
Jude 21 says, verse 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We do this by faith, trusting his word when he says that he loves us, that he calls us, that he desires us. We have to shut out those lies of Satan when he tells us we're not worthy. With the truth of the word of God, that we truly are not worthy in ourselves, but through Christ, we have become worthy. So he calls us to come from the top of Amana, from the top of Shinir and Hermon. He calls us from all the high places. Right now in my devotions, I'm reading through First and Second Kings. Over and over again, the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel, they failed to tear down the high places, those things that hindered their people, hindered them from worshiping God as he desired. So he calls his bride to come down from those high places, those things that have become allurements, allurements of this world, those places that we're drawn to when we're not focused on our bridegroom and his love for us. He continues calling, come from the lion's dens and from the mountain of leopards. Come down from there. Don't you see the danger? The lions and leopards are prowling around. Come down from where you're seeking those things that can't satisfy. You're in a dangerous place. Come down away from those things that can be made into idols and take my place in your heart. Now verse 9. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. Come, because you've ravished my heart. My heart is taken with you, with one of your eyes. Just a glance from you makes my heart beat faster. You see that? God's heart beats faster. is ravished when we just turn one of our eyes toward him. Think about that. Think about how just a glance upward to him in prayer makes God's heart beat faster. Such is his love for us. Just one of, just one of our eyes, just a glance, and our Heavenly Father's beat fast, heart beats faster. Because of Christ's work, he loves us, and because he is perfection, he loves us perfectly. He can't love us more, can't love us less. Just one glance toward him, and we have his attention. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse, so hast ravished my heart with, just one of thy, with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. With one chain of thy neck, the necklace of his bride, just one chain of that makes his heart beat faster. Let's think about this. The Song of Solomon is written by Solomon to a shepherd girl. Where would a shepherd girl get a beautiful necklace with multiple chains? She got it from him. It was a gift he had given her. He loves to see her wearing it. So all the beauty that we have before God, it's his gift to us. We have nothing of our own, but all we have, he's given us. It's his gift to us. And we, when, we, when he sees his righteousness in us, he loves us for it. So he looks down, and we turn our eyes upward to him and faster. And then he sees in us the righteousness that he gave us, and his heart beats faster. We're adorned with the gifts that he has given us, and when he sees us wearing those gifts, his heart is ravished and beats faster. Now verse 10, How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse! How much better is thy love than wine! 
and the smell of thine ointments and all spices. How fair, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my spouse, my bride. How can this be? So often our love seems weak and feeble at best. He views it and says of it, how fair, how beautiful. Again, our feeble love when it is in Christ is seen as beautiful because it's passing through him, through our one mediator to the Father. Our one mediator between God and man. Our love is seen as beautiful because it's offered through Christ to the Father. He sees the perfect love of Christ in us, and so it passes through him, it becomes lovely. Verse 11. Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as a honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue, and the smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. When our words are filtered through Christ to the Father, he sees them as sweet as a honeycomb. He sees us as altogether desirable. From the sweetness of the words on our lips to the scent of our garment, righteousness of Christ. It's a sweet smelling savor to the Lord. Now verse 12. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with, with pleasant fruits, camphor and spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. The bride of Christ is chaste and pure, a garden enclosed. Chaste and pure because he's purified us. A garden enclosed, not open to everyone. We as the bride of Christ must close ourselves to other loves. They'll only hurt us anyways. We cannot open our garden to the allurements of the world. Christ must be our first and only love. We must shut ourselves up with God to grow our relationship with him. We have to put in the time building that relationship with him. We spend so much time in pursuits, while somewhat worthy, and some, of some earthly value. But we spend our time often in pursuits that do not further our relationship with the one who loves us like this. Are we allowing other things into our garden, other loves into our garden, things that should not be? He goes on to describe the good things of the garden, those things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report, things of virtue and things of praise. These are the things that attract the Lord to our garden. That's why we're to think on these things, as the Apostle Paul said. We must meditate on those things which are attractive to the Lord. And as we see those things that are listed, the pomegranates, the camphor, the spikenard, the saffron, the calamus, the cinnamon, the frankincense, the myrrh and aloes, many of those things have healing properties. And as we tend our garden and open it only to Christ, he fills it with all kinds of goodly virtues that we can use to reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to the lost with healing words and actions the overflow of the garden that we're keeping for Christ benefits those around us. Now verse 16 is the only verse in this chapter that's spoken by the bride. Awake, O north wind, and come thou south. Blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. Now here the bride has put all this work into tending the garden and is bringing forth fruit. She wants the wind to come and blow the fragrance of the fruits and spices 
to her spouse, to the bridegroom, so that he can come and enjoy the fruit. When we're allowing the fruits of our love for Christ to overflow to our brothers and sisters in Christ and the lost, we desire the fragrance of our work for him to reach him so that he will come into our garden and enjoy the fruits with us, the fruits that are bringing him glory and honor, which is our purpose. Now, chapter 5 and verse 1. I come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink, yea, and drink abundantly, O beloved. That's, this is the amazing thing. The great king, if we think about King Solomon, he had no need for a little shepherd girl's garden. He probably had huge gardens of his own that were tended by professional gardeners. But he humbled himself and came into her garden. We too have a humble king, a loving king, that gives us the desire of our hearts to simply have him come into our garden and enjoy the fruits of our labor. The Lord doesn't need our feeble offerings, but out of his immense love for us, he gives us what we desire, the opportunity to serve him with what he's given us and to partake in the fruits of our labors for him. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O oh friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O oh beloved. This is amazing. He tastes, takes the offering that, that we desire and he enjoys it with us, eating the honeycomb with the honey, drinking the wine and milk, and he shares it with us. He takes it, and he gives it back to us. Everything that you're offering me, I give to you. No matter how weak and feeble our offering may seem, he delights in it. We should never be cautious in sharing it with him. He's given each of us talents and gifts that he desires us to give back to him. He created each of us, and he loves us. We should never be shy about using what he has given us in his service. And we shouldn't compare ourselves to others nor compare the gifts that we have to the gifts of others. So many times we say, I could never do this because I don't have that gift. I can't stand in front of people and teach. I can't sing. I can't, I can't, I can't. You may be right, but you have been given gifts to use in his service, and he desires you to cultivate them for him so that he can come into your garden and enjoy the fruits with you, with you whom he loves. Don't worry about what others are doing. Christ wants to come into your garden and enjoy what you've grown for him. It's an amazing thing to get a hold of. We have a God who loves us so much and wants to spend time in our garden, enjoying with us the fruits of our relationship with him. That's the God who loves us. The God who has given us all that we are, that's the God who loves us. The God who's adorned us in his righteousness and delights in seeing us adorned in his righteousness. That's the God who loves us. The God who looks down and sees us without spot or blemish because he sees that imputed right, righteousness. That's the God who loves us. The God whose heart is ravished when we glance toward him in prayer. That's the God who loves us. That's the God that we serve. He loves us beyond our human comprehending. All the more reason to press toward the mark of the high calling 
It is our high calling to serve him and to bring him pleasure, to bring glory and honor to his holy name. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.